Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Deeps Podcast. This episode we will be covering the birth of Jesus in the second chapter of Luke. Before we hop into the text, let us open with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us this day. Thank you for giving us this this life. Please be with us throughout this week. Please help us to be a shining light for you, reflecting your light to others so that they might see you and come to know you. Please be with us in this episode. Please grant understanding and wisdom. Please be with me. Please help me to see what you want me to see in the text so that we can dig deeper into your word. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so just like every time, we're going to start out and we're just going to read the text one time through. And so the text today is going to be Luke chapter 2, uh, and we're going to do the whole chapter. So starting at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been made that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will piece through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every, every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And so today, when we are looking at this text of Luke chapter 2, um, we're going to once again use three points to look at it. And that is great birth, great gladness, and great wisdom. So starting out first off with the great birth, I think it's pretty obvious who this great birth is. Um, so starting at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the lineage of David. So, if you were to look at Jesus' birthday as a play, which it is often depicted by, then this is Luke setting the stage for us right here. He is showing us how and why Joseph is going to Bethlehem. This is an important event because one of the coolest things about the way that Jesus was born and lived was that a ton of it was to fulfill Old Testament scriptures. Um, Jesus was prophesied to be fully man in Genesis 3 verse 15, which was right after the fall. He was prophesied to be a Jew in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 and Numbers 24 verse 17. And he was prophesied to have come from the tribe of Judah and that we are told that in Genesis 49 verse 10 and from the lineage of David in 2 Samuel 2 verses 1 through 17. In Isaiah 7 14 Isaiah tells us that he would be born of a virgin 
And then in Micah 5 verse 2, he is predicted to come from the town of Bethlehem. Listen to this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I think it's just cool to see just how much of an important part Caesar ultimately played in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And again, we see God's divine providence. God has left his fingerprints all over the story, controlling the very actions of Caesar just so he could have Jesus born in Bethlehem. Because, you know, Caesar called the, um, the census, and so Joseph had to go back to the town where he was a part of, Bethlehem, and then just because of that, just because Caesar called that census, which he just called for his own ego, basically, if you don't know, a census is called so you can count people that you have under your control. And so Caesar just called that so he could try and just gloat how many people he has under control, and boom, Jesus is born in Bethlehem because of that census, because it's been called. Um, it's just so cool to me how God just completely controlled that in his own way to show first off Caesar's selfishness, second off his divine providence once again. Um, something in a Bible commentary that I read pointed out to me that the name Bethlehem actually means house of bread. At first this is just sort of funny because you know no town is really named house of bread, but when you realize that this is actually the perfect name for where Jesus should be born, it's just so cool once again of God's providence because the bread of life himself was born in the house of bread. It is so amazing how God works through all the things as small as the meaning of town's names to point to his son's might, because as it says in John verse in John 6 verses 32 through 35, and this is in the New King James Version by the way, then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Christ is the very bread of life, born in a town which is the house of bread. God is always providential, even in the smallest things throughout the Bible and in our lives. So now heading back to the text, starting at verse 5. Um, I'm going to go back a couple words because it kind of starts in the middle of the sentence. Um, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with the child. Um, according to the commentary that I am using here, uh, Mary and Joseph actually decided not to make their marriage official until after Jesus was born. Uh, yet the betrothal, once again, is much like marriage in that the only way to break it off is divorce. No doubt Mary was probably happy to make this trip and get away from all the people in Nazareth who would talk about her giving forth birth before marriage because like I pointed out last week um, this isn't something that you should see like husband and wife are barely supposed to make contact until they're married um, but that's obviously changed now because of her um, conception of Jesus even though it wasn't actually Joseph but anyway heading back to the text starting at verse 6 uh, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the end. At the end, sorry, not end. 
So Luke doesn't give a bunch of descriptive details about the whereabouts of this manger that Jesus is born in, but most scholars believe that the manger was a stone feeding trough, and it was probably in a cave, not actually a wooden stall, which I think is interesting because, you know, we often depict it in place today as a wooden trough, uh, or not wooden trough, wooden stall. But regardless, you know, either way, it's not a great place to be born, and it obviously wasn't their first choice. Luke says that there was no place in the inn, and it says, like, it says inn as in a specific place, firmly implying that the inn in Bethlehem was completely full. This points us, once again, to God's providence. God provincially, providentially filled up the inn before Mary and Joseph got there, forcing them to use the manger, which is pretty cool because just thinking about this, God had Caesar call this census, and this census did one of two things. We already talked about one of them. It brought Joseph to Bethlehem. The other thing it does, did is it brought everybody else that didn't permanently live in Bethlehem to Bethlehem. So not only was Joseph and Mary there, they were also there without a place to stay, making Jesus, Jesus' birthplace in an uncommon area a manger. God chose this birthplace for Jesus, which tells us something very specific. God lowered his son down to be a human, and then lowered his son down even more and had him birth in a stone manger where sheep and cattle drink from daily. In other words, Christ made himself the lowest of the low right off the bat. He was born in a private place, not in a busy, bustling inn. He was born in a water trough, not a bed. Nothing about this birth is normal. That's because nothing about Jesus is normal. He chose to leave his perfect, holy heaven and come down to us in a dirty water trough. What a beautiful picture of the most significant birth in the history of mankind. So now moving on to our next point where we're going to be talk talking about the great gladness that comes in response to his birth, starting at verse 8, talking about the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out of the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So, the first announcement of Christ's official birth happens to some it comes to some random shepherds out in the field. Now, why is this important? Because in the Jewish society, shepherds were literally the lowest of the low, pretty much besides the, um, I can't remember the disease name, but um, the lepers. Yeah, the lepers. It's besides the lepers, the shepherds were pretty much the lowest of the low. Um, they were literally known as unclean people. Um, and they were seen as unclean because they were on the outskirts of the town and rarely came in. And so they were not able to become clean in the temple because their work kept them outside of the temple and outside of the city. So what's the point of this? The point is that God specifically chose the lowest of the low to proclaim the most significant event in humanity's history. This reveals the grace of God to all of mankind all who are seen as the lowest of the low. He calls the poor and lowly to him. He gives them grace and blessings. And in this case, the blessing to be the first to hear about the birth of the Savior of Christ after it happened, of course. Um, it is also very symbolic that the angels appear to the shepherd in many ways. 
first and foremost, Christ has to has come to be the good shepherd, and he also has come to be the land of, Lamb of God who is sacrificed for the sins of the world. It is completely fitting then, and very symbolic, that the shepherds would be the first to hear about this marvelous birth, since Christ came to not only be our shepherd, but the very Lamb that would be sacrificed for us um, and for our sins. Uh, so starting back again at verse 12, and this will be assigned to you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace among those whom he has blessed. So we see a great number of angels joining the one who announced Jesus. And once again in the book of Luke, we see praise as a reaction to God's amazing grace. This time coming from the angels in the heavens themselves. If this doesn't tell you that praise to God for what he has done and has done for you, like, is the right response, I, I don't know what will. I mean, angels themselves are doing it. Uh, you know, and let's notice what the shepherds say here in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds say to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Notice, they said, let us go over to Bethlehem. This means that this wasn't just a short walk for the shepherds, and they knew it, and they still went anyway. Um, I don't remember if I pointed this out or not earlier, but shepherds were very dedicated to their work. Um, they didn't go places often without their sheep, um, but they, they, they left for this. And not only that, but they left in haste. The word haste here is actually the same word that was used to describe the way that Mary went to Elizabeth's house back in Luke 1 verse 39. Often when things are brought back up, we need to make sure that we notice that, and I think it's important that we do so here. Mary and the shepherds immediately dropped what they were doing, and they became in complete obedience to God. Um, in a sermon on the armor of God, Reverend Alistair Begg actually speaks on how the gospel shoes give us mobility, and here are two perfect examples of that for us. When the gospel is important to us, and we take it on to be a part of us, like the shoes of readiness, or the shoes of gospel peace, which give us readiness, sorry, we will hasten to its wills and its calling, just as the shepherds hasten here to see the mighty Son of God lying in his manger. And they do go. And at verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. These shepherds are among the first to declare Christ a savior, and we know this because it says, they made known to them the saying, or they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This is referring to the what the angel tells them in verse 11, when it says, for unto you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord is born. I think it's important that they did this because we have seen that Jesus was going to be a savior to many in the chapter prior to his birth, yet most of the declarations of the fact that Jesus was going to be a savior happened in private, like just between Mary and Elizabeth, or without context of who the savior actually is. But this declaration of Christ as a savior is in front of other people besides just Mary and, Mary and Joseph. As Luke points out in verse 18, where it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, it's important 
that all those people were there, but also notice how Mary reacts to this first and how Luke versus how Luke says the other people reacted. Um, the other people just wondered, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Once again, we see Mary meditating on the wondrous works and character of God. As I point out in the last episode about the song Mary sang, when she treasures these things up in her heart, her words will become about those things. Um, you know, I, the overflow of the heart is what comes out of the mouth. That was the verse I brought up last time. Something I think that we can all take away from this is that we need to treasure God's words in our hearts and we need to meditate on them. And over time, you will speak holier. You will speak about God and his word more and you will praise him like Mary did in the last chapter. And starting once again at verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And in the end, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, his, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We see here the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph also to keep what to to keep to what the angel said, regardless of what the standard name for a child would have been expected to be named in that time and in the Jewish culture, um, like we brought up last time. John's name was very irregular because it wasn't his father's name or any of his other descendants' name. Um, as far as I know, this Jesus isn't really the name of any other um, descendants, although I think it might also be known as Joshua, and we'll read over the genealogy of Jesus coming up, and I think there is a Joshua in there, so not completely sure if that's super irregular or not, but I'm pretty sure it's different, which, once again, points to the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. You know that they they named it Jesus what the angel told them to regardless of what society thought he should be named um, so now we're going to be talking about Jesus being presented at the temple and this is once again more gladness that is coming as a result of Christ's death I mean Christ's birth I'm so sorry Christ's birth <laughs> and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Christ's purpose on earth was obviously to deliver us from our sins and to save us um, specifically from the law. But that did not make Christ above the law. On the contrary, he was born under it and he made it. So he had to uphold it perfectly. And he does throughout his entire life and here um, being underneath of it with the whole um, sacrificing and stuff like that sacrificing a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons um, because of the blessing of the womb sacrificing and praise to God basically is what this is so now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, um, I'll stop there. I wasn't supposed to read verse 28, my bad. <laughs> so Luke introduces us here to Simeon, a man who is righteous and devout to the ancient Jewish faith who was blessed by the Spirit. The commentary that I read said that Simeon was a man led by the Spirit of God 
taught by the word of God and obedient to the will of God. And that was why he was privileged by God to be able to see the Savior whom he is waiting for um, in Jesus Christ. And Simeon praises God for allowing him to see the consolation of Israel in Christ and blesses God by saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Um, the last verse in this praise is my favorite part of this blessing from Simeon. I mean, just look at how powerful the Spirit is um, with him. Like, the Spirit has completely revealed to Simeon the mission of Christ, which is to save all nations, both Jew and Gentile. This is something that most of the Jews would not have liked to hear, but that Simeon praises God for. And the joy that Simeon shows here for those Gentiles who will be saved because of Christ is something that we ought to take a lesson from. Simeon's love for the unbeliever is strong, as should ours be. It's not easy to bring up the gospel to unbelievers. But if we love God and so love our neighbors as ourselves, why are we not sacrificing a comfortable conversation for an uncomfortable salvation? conversation about salvation this is something that i struggle with all the time myself um you know it's so easy just to get comfortable and just not to say anything um but i think it's something that we need to try and work on in ourselves more and if you are an unbeliever listening to this um let me just tell you real quick about the abcs that i found out about not long ago um listening to actually a sermon by reverend alistair Begg. So the ABCs are A, admittance. We must admit that we are sinners and fall short continuously. B, you must believe and believe in the very Jesus Christ who is born here and in Luke chapter two. We must believe in his birth and then in his death and resurrection for us. And C, come to him and feel you feel him draw you nearer, still nearer. Um, so now, heading back to the text again, starting at verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, there's a lot to unwrap in this. The falling and the rising of many in Israel refers to the fall of the haughty and mighty and the rise of the poor and humble. This points back to Mary's song where she talks about how Christ will rise, raise up the humble and feed the poor and hungry. Um, the sign that is opposed is all of Christ's miracles and acts. Um, that's the signs. Through the book of, throughout the book of John, um, John refers to all of Jesus' great miracles and actions as signs, and that's what Simeon means here. You see, Christ was opposed throughout his entire life on earth. Um, his signs were opposed his entire life on earth, too. The people attacked him, pushing him away, and ultimately killed him, although he did rise again. The people of Israel were very opposed to the sign of Jesus. And lastly, as far as Simeon goes, um, we see that he warns Mary of the struggle that she will face as Jesus begins preaching um, when he says that, uh, where is it at? And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 
he, this is him warning Mary of just how painful being the mother of a Messiah who will die for the world's sin, um, how painful that will be. So now we meet a new character in this story, and this is Anna, an elderly widow whose name actually means grace. So starting at verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption for Jerusalem. So Anna is a very special character here, someone who, as the text said, was widowed a long time ago and is yet steadfastly worshipped her Lord and Savior, waiting for the day when the promised one would come. This picture is so beautiful here of the dedication that Anna has to God. Widows were often mistreated, taken advantage of, um, versus actually they were supposed to be taken care of. Um, the law commanded it actually that they be taken care of. So instead of begging and pouting that she wasn't being taken care of like she was supposed to, Anna just began to worship God fervently day and night. Notice that God blesses this worship with the gift of being one of ten prophetesses mentioned in the Bible. She takes the praise of Simeon to the next level and begins to spread the word to others as well. Um, this is the perfect picture of a woman blessing the house of God, spreading God's glory by praising him. Anna is a minister and she's not an elder, but she is expanding God's kingdom through her praise and it's a beautiful picture and beautiful praise so the next and final point that I want to talk about and use this text to look at this chapter for the next point I want to use to look at this text sorry is great wisdom and starting we'll start seeing the great wisdom of Jesus at verse 39 and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord they returned into Galilee into their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we don't know much about these years of Jesus' youth, often referred to as the hidden years. Um, what we do know, however, is that during this time, Jesus submitted himself to God's will and his timing. Jesus patiently grew in wisdom and in stature, becoming the man God wanted him to be, the very man who could die on the cross for us as God's son holy man yet holy God and holy perfect so back at text starting at verse 41 we are gonna hear talk about um, Jesus in the temple as a boy this is the one story that Luke talks about as his of his childhood although I will just briefly mention this um, we do know that Jesus worked in at, under his dad in carpentry and we also know that he took it over um, after his dad Joseph died um, before his ministry. So anyway, back to the text, starting verse 41. Now his, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So Jewish law actually required that every man was to worship in Jerusalem three times a year. However, most men could barely afford to go once a year. So most chose to just go to the Passover since it was the most important feast on the Jewish calendar. And they usually took their families with them to attend this great Passover because it was 
that important. And um, and the text says, And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. I got a little illustration here, so I have to skip through a page. And his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. So to get to the Passover, entire towns would actually travel in these caravans. And the caravans were kind of organized with the women and children leading. Um, basically this giant group of women and children were up at the front just walking towards Jerusalem. Some wagons and stuff. Um, you know, maybe for the babies or whatever. You get the picture of this entire town anyway. Traveling towards Jerusalem with the women and children actually in the front. And the men would follow behind um, them and basically you know the women and children are just looking after all each other's kids kids are playing together and everybody including the men are just socializing the whole journey i mean this journey was a it was a big deal and everybody did it and you can imagine this is probably a lot of fun um so it would not have been hard at all to lose jesus um both parents probably just assumed that he was off with some other friends staying with them in a different part of the caravan um but Luke tells us in verse 48 that they searched for him in great distress during this time. They're searching for him after they realized he's gone. So what's cool about this actually is that the word that's used in the Greek that is translated to distressed is also the same word that Paul uses in Romans 9 verse 2 to describe the anguish that he felt for the unbelieving Jews who refused to believe in Jesus as their savior. This shows us just how deep the love is that Mary and Joseph had, and also how passionate it was. They didn't feel a deep, like, or a great disconnection between them because of his godly nature. On the contrary, they actually felt responsible for his safety, and so felt that they had failed their Lord by losing him. The only fault that they have here is being blinded by their fear and forgetting ultimately whose Jesus actually is. He is the one child of God, meant to save the world. God would not let anything harm his son until the day of his death, and on the contrary, he was seeking to grow him and begin to show the great wisdom that he had at the ripe old age of 12. So you see where his parents find him in verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. Sorry, lost my place amazed at his understanding and his answers and when his parents saw him they were astonished and his mother said to him son why have you treated us so behold your father and i have been searching for you in great distress and he said to them why were you looking for me did you not know that i must be in my father's house and they did not understand the saying he spoke to them and he went down with them and came to nazareth and was submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus is in his temple. He's learning, he's growing, but he is also revealing the wisdom that his father has already blessed him with, once again, at the ripe old age of 12. The confusion that Mary and Joseph experience here is part of the prophecy that Simon talked about earlier, Simeon, sorry, not Simon, Simeon talked about earlier, when he said that the sword shall pierce Mary's soul. This is because they just can't understand Jesus' ultimate purpose yet. 
Um, and as you can imagine, not being able to understand the reason that your child would just leave your side intentionally um, would break any father or mother's heart. Now notice um, here just real quickly that regardless of this, Jesus is still submissive to his parents. Even though, I mean, he had every excuse in the world. You know, we make excuses. Oh, we know better. I mean, this is like I've said before, you know, I'm truly right here. Like, I know that I'm right. And that's why I'm telling them that they're wrong. No, no. Jesus knows that what he's doing is good. And he still submits to his parents. Why? Because the law tells him to. And I think this is kind of a beautiful thing here that Jesus is submitting to his parents, even when they're 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 in the wrong here ultimately, um, because Jesus is doing, uh, Jesus is where he belongs in his father's house, and yet he still submits to his parents, still submits to the law ultimately, and it's something that we need to take account of and look at it and treasure it. Um, as Mary does, because notice here, Mary's response to something that she doesn't understand is that she treasures those things in her heart. Once again, she treasures them in her heart if she doesn't understand it. And even if she does, she still does that. But what a great example of faith for us. She may not be able to understand the plan of her God yet, but that doesn't mean that she just ignores it and focuses on something else easier to understand. Rather, she stores it up, meditates on it, and basically tells God, Look, I don't understand this, but I will still treasure it away anyway for the day when I will be able to. Um, I think that's just such a beautiful picture of Mary's faith and the strength of her faith. Um, almost done, sorry, I know this is running a little bit long. Um, but Jesus grew up in a large family in a poor, despised town with nurturing parents who were certainly poor and the Romans had taken over all of Israel. Yet, through all of this, Jesus remained holy and perfect, never failing to follow the law or his father's commands. And as you can imagine, that'd be pretty hard when you're growing up in an area where things aren't just, aren't like, things aren't right here, you know? Things that are not supposed to be happening in the great nation of Israel is happening because Israel isn't even its own nation anymore. It's part of Rome. Um, so you can imagine that'd be pretty hard for Jesus growing up there, and yet he still remains holy and perfect, never failing to follow the law of his father's or any of his father's commands. His father as in God Almighty, of course. So what is the point of this great birth, the great gladness, and the great wisdom of Jesus that we are told of in Luke 2? And the point is that when God began to complete the greatest promise ever made in human history, in, in the world's history, when God began to complete that promise using one birth, we see the gladness and the faith of those who believed in Jesus and in the faith that they had that he would save the people of Israel. And we see the wisdom of our Savior as he shows his faith and God's timing for him, painfully living a life as far and as different from the life that he surely lived in heaven. Living this life so that we might have faith in him. And then the faith of Mary, not understanding, but believing, 
for as it is written in John 20 verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. The point of all this is that we must have faith. Through all of this, we see faith and we must have faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever could draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We can see this. The best example of this is the prophetess Anna and the man Simeon, whose faith in Jesus was strong before they had ever seen Jesus. We have God's word to show us Christ's birth, life, and death, and resurrection to bring us salvation. Anna and Simeon had only had scripture that predicted that just predicted him. They it predicted a warrior coming for Israel to save all people, not just Jews. And so they had the faith to wait for that savior. This is a dark time for Israel. I mean, they had lost all sense of their pride as a nation because they weren't even an independent nation anymore. It would have been so easy for a man like Simeon to lose faith that someone was coming to save them. And then not only save them, but save enemy nations as well. And it would have been even easier for Anna in the loss of her husband, the only protection and worldly provision that she had to lose faith and sight for loving God. And yet that faith became even stronger. She worshiped God instead of cursing him. She praised him instead of begging for food from other people. And through the faith of these two elderly people, they were blessed by God to see the arrival of the one true king, the one who would save all people with a faith like theirs. So, by way of application, I ask, is your faith like Simeon and Anna's? And the truth is, it's probably not. I know mine by far is not like theirs. So, look to them for your example. Find men and women like them in your community. Strive to grow in your faith like Anna and Simeon did. Praise God in all things like Anna did. And rest in the peace of Christ's salvation just like Simeon did. Praising God all the while. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be born on this earth as a man. Thank you for sending him to be born as a man just so that he could die for our sins. Thank you for sending the very lamb of sacrifice, the only lamb of sacrifice that could save us. Dear God, I ask that you give us faith. Give us faith like Anna and Simeon's. Help us to be strong in our faith, to know the promises that you've given us, and to spread that faith. Help us not to just hold on to it and stand in one place with it, but help us to be mobile with that faith. Help us to spread it. Help us to share it with other people. Help us to reflect your light to all the nations. Thank you for your many blessings. Here we pray. Amen. So thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, I really did enjoy this one. I've read Luke 2, I mean, countless times um, and never actually like looked into it the way that I got to this episode. And I truly enjoyed it. I hope that you guys did. Next week, we're going to be covering Luke chapter 3. And yeah, that's going to be all in one. I'm sorry this one ran a little bit long. I just, I, I felt like it was a passage that you have to read in its entirety. You can't just split that one up. 
Um, I'm, I'm glad I did. I won't keep you guys any longer. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of The Deeps.